Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. You're listening to the Auburn Express. What's up in War Eagle War Report family? Your guy, Ike Jones. We are back with another morning drop. Today, we are talking offensive line, continuing through our position group breakdowns. Y'all know how we do right here, War Report style. Let's get straight to it, babies. Drop it on them. Morning drop. We are here Tuesday morning, July the 25th. Ike Jones, be will in the place to be talking a little offensive line today. Yes, we decided to start with the two position groups that gave us the absolute most frustration last season. Go ahead and get it out the way. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) But be will. How you feeling this morning, man? Feeling pretty good. I don't mind. Uh, you know, we got some fuel for the offensive line because they dropped some picks from Akata yesterday. Mm. I got some questions about who hadn't been getting those starts, man. We got a a, a seven-foot android on the line, apparently. We'll get to it. We'll get mm. to it. Man, those yeah. are big boys, man. It's crazy. Yeah, we definitely have some uh, behemoth. I like to throw out a, you know, a big word every now and then. Very large individuals on that offensive line. But, um, yeah. Wasn't a group that performed particularly well last year, but hopefully we will get some better productivity. From a talent standpoint, I feel like we've definitely upgraded. Uh, we've upgraded number of snaps that we had available in that room. A lot of good things happening for the offensive line. So I did some, some, you know, I've been doing my research, trying to get statistics, all that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, looking at PFF grades. And uh, I have the PFF grades, of course, for the entire offensive line. Before we get into the list of the guys that are in the room right now, be will. If I were to give you a pick amongst which performed better, our run blocking or our pass blocking, intuitively, what would you say? For the guys who are here now? For last season. Last season. Who are here from last season. No, just how Auburn performed. Oh, just the offensive line. Okay. Not individuals. Okay. Yeah. 
I would say run blocking. And I would say so because of how we performed the last four. EFF disagrees with that. And I I was surprised. Our pass blocking grade last year was an overall 65.4 as a unit, which is decent. It's not bad. It's good for eighth in the conference, which is below, you know, half. You know, we're in the bottom half of the conference. 61st in the nation, which is middling, right? Mm-hmm. Pass blocking grade, though. Excuse me, run blocking grade. 55.2 last season. Good for 11th in the conference and 91st in the nation. I was surprised by those numbers. I was surprised. Mm-hmm. I would have, like you assumed, going into this blind said, oh, we definitely ran block better grading out than we did pass blocking. Absolutely did. Now, I will say this with a caveat. I do think that we had less opportunities to mess up in the pass blocking game as the season went on. And so because the run play action was so effective last year at the end of the season because we were running so much, it probably meant that we weren't attempting to have to pass block as often. Yeah. That's a potential reasoning. I don't know if that's the reasoning behind it, but I was shocked. 91st overall, 11th in the conference in run blocking, Auburn University last year, according to PFF, who we you use know often for our statistical analysis. Somebody put a, a small cut up of the Auburn versus Missouri game from 2022 on the timeline, and I saw how little room Tank had to work with. He had the worst yards before contact numbers in the conference. And yet, he did not have the worst yards per average or yards after contact because Tank was an outstanding back. But what I saw was they're giving him no room. In the scheme and in what was being run by Auburn early in the season last season, we were predictable. And the offensive linemen couldn't hold up and they couldn't execute what was being asked of them. So... If you tell me that that pretty much weighs the entire run average down, I believe you. I can see how that would happen, especially later in the season as the run was pretty much all we wanted to do. So when we finally did want to throw, there was room to throw. I think that would make it. I think about, of course, the the one pass that Robbie threw in the Iron Bowl that was just so beautiful. It wasn't necessarily under duress. Like we we had things working at that point in the season. The run made room for the pass in a way that I can understand how we would end up with better pass numbers after you, you make that switch to caddy and, and we get run centric. So I guess that can make sense, but early our, our run offense was, was awful early. So I'm, I'm kind of, I can come around and see how that number would, would end up there. Yeah. I mean, I, again, it was shocking to me because just my natural inclination is like, Oh yeah, of course we were better run blocking because we seemed like we were a better running team than we were a passing team. But that was not the case according to PFF. Anyway, I don't want to belabor the point about that. I just thought it was interesting when I was looking at the numbers. Let's get into, now we're not going to be looking at PFF numbers here, just the raw, these are the guys in the room and what they their measurables are, right? So a lot of guys here in this room to look at. So we got two slides. So first we'll take a look at Jaleel Irvin, 6'3", 319, um, senior, Dylan Wade, 6'3", 307, junior, Gunnar Britton, 6'6", 312, senior. That's the transfer. I'll, let me just mention here, Jalil Irvin's been at Auburn his entire career. Mm-hmm. Dylan Wade was the transfer over from Tulsa. Gunnar Britton, the transfer from Western Kentucky, 6'6", 312, senior. 
Tate Johnson in his junior year, 6'4", 302. Brayden Joyner, 6'2", 344. It's a big boy. True freshman. Mm-hmm. EJ Harris, this is the redshirt freshman out of Auburn High School, 6'5". So Brayden Joyner, again, Auburn High School guys. So two Auburn High School mm-hmm. guys right there. 6'5", 331. Uh, Harrison Klimmer, who I believe is a walk-on, 6'3", 268, true freshman. Cam Stutz, our representative out there at SEC Media Days, 6'5", 343, a senior. I stood next to this young man, of course, if you didn't see that video, myself looking like a child next to Cam Stutz. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, he's every bit of 6'5". So here's the thing, right? So I talked about this uh, getting into the basketball locker room, and I'll get back to to going through this offensive line list and how the guys on the basketball team, I'm standing next to them. I'm like, they got this dude listed at, nah, bro, that's not. Yeah, Cam Stutz is 6'5", bro. (laughs) That's that's not a joke. He really is 6'5" legitimately there's they didn't inflate his height uh, a centimeter six five for sure avery jones six four three oh seven he's the senior transfer from east carolina mason richards there six two three oh one redshirt freshman then uh the next thing we have is isaiah miller six five three eighteen they call him too tall and you know looking at the measurements on him He's not, I mean, he's 6'5", which puts him in the higher, but I, I, you know, with a name like Too Tall, I'm thinking 6'7", six, 6'8", six, dude or whatever. But 6'5", you know, 3'18", respectable height there, the Juco transfer in as a junior. Garner Langlo, this is the young man in the picture that you were talking about. What, man? That looked as if he probably was CGI. Like, I'm not 100% <laughs> sure that was a real person standing there at the end of this picture. But Garner Langlo, 6'6". Six, six, 297 can't be right for right now. He looked, if he is 297, there is not an ounce of body fat on that young man. None. That's but crazy. A, uh, sophomore there, Connor Lou, 6'3", 290. Smaller than I would have thought, but freshman plays bigger than that. Clay Whedon, another uh, freshman in here at 6'3", 307. Jeremiah Wright, 6'5", 338. Evan Richards, 6'4", 306. And rounding it out, the true freshman, 6'6", 304 Tyler Johnson, late addition to that class. Be will. Let's talk about it. Now that we've run through all the names, all the people, let's talk about expectations for the season upcoming in the offensive line. Anybody so, in particular you want to focus on? You want me to go to the first page, second page? How you feeling? You know what? I really want to focus on the tackle position. Okay. Left and right tackles. Here is where Auburn has been incredibly poor at high school recruiting at development because there was nobody we brought in from the transfer portal or from Juco who truly seemed to fit at that position. It seemed like we had guys who probably either were right tackles or guards trying to be out there. Mm -hmm. Left tackle is the position that has really been the bane of our offensive existence for five years. I always go back to 2018. 2017, we had Prince Tega, and we had a pretty good offense. 2014, we had Sean Coleman, and we had a pretty good offense. 2013, we had Greg Robinson. We had a pretty good offense. It seems to come down to, do you have a guy at left tackle that has the combination of strength and mobility and agility for his size to hold up in protection and also push people out, out of the way for the run? 
The answer for Auburn is no for five straight seasons, 2018, right. 19, 20, 21, 22. I think we probably had good guards. Our inside, our battery, uh, left guard, center, and right guard, our, our three interior linemen have at least, I think, been serviceable to good for the last few seasons. Tackles? No. So, who do we have on this list that we know will play tackle? Well, we know Dylan Wade right. is going to be our left tackle. Well, I don't have Jaden Muskrat on this list. I just realized that. Did I not say his name? No, you did. I think you left him off. I, yeah, he's, he's definitely here now. <laughs> yeah, I don't have him on this list. I just, I literally, like when you said tackles, that's what made me think of him. I need to make sure I get his measurables on here, but continue talking. I'm going to pull him up. I'm not going to have him on the graphic, but I'll at least uh, make sure I have his information out here, but continue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I know Dylan Wade projects as a tackle. He played a tackle at Tulsa. Our, uh, we had some talks with Cole Kublick, who was, was very excited about Dylan Wade and his prospects at tackle. Okay, so great. You're telling me a professional football analyst and former offensive lineman says, hey, that's your left tackle right there, and he's going to be really good. Then I'm going to believe him. And now I'm asking, so who's the other tackle? Well, it looks like Britain. Gunner Britton will be our right tackle. Okay, great. I've heard excitement about him as well. I didn't get a chance to listen to Cube's thoughts specifically on Britton. However, that is more of two guys in their natural positions playing tackle for Auburn. That is an improvement. When we talk about why we're excited about the prospects of the offensive line this year and possibly why that offensive line looks so good in A-Day, aside from the fact that Wet field advantage goes to the offense, and specifically an offense that is equipped to run. So maybe they don't, they aren't quite as good as they looked in A Day, and maybe our defensive line isn't as bad as it looked at A Day. However, this improvement—I just we, we just ran through it. Every time we had a quality left tackle, somebody that could had the had the potential to get drafted by the NFL, we were good. Our offense was at the very least very good. Yeah. So. The last time we had one of those 2017, that's the last time we had a, a very good offense. Do we have a very good left tackle? A draftable left tackle? If we do, we will have a good offense. That, well, that is my sole conclusion for the value of Dylan Wade <laughs> at left tackle. If we have tackles that are supposed to, at, at the positions where they are equipped to play, we're going to be good on offense. Two tackles. I also want to know, though, who are the backup tackles? Right. I think that's incredibly important. In, endurance is a, is a big part of this sport. We know that. Football is a difficult sport. You're going to get dinged up. You're going to have guys go down. You hope and pray none of your guys go down with anything serious. It doesn't threaten their careers. But we know it's a physical sport. You have to have two competent players playing every position at, at the very least. That's why they put out a two deep and not just a one deep. It's not right. basketball. You don't just care about starting five. Basketball, that's all you need. Who's five? Cool. We got it. You don't even what is Phoenix doing in the NBA right now? Just give me five starters and we don't even need a bench. Football's not that sport. Okay. Anybody can go down at any time, which is why quarterback battles are important because you need to know who your number two is. And it's especially important when it comes to this offensive line, because again, I think the entirety of an offense, the value there is is the line going to hold up? Well, now you can do things as an offensive coordinator and as a play call that you want to do because you are equipped to do these things. Who are our backup tackles? I don't know. All right? I have no idea. I know we have a lot of guys who project very well inside. Connor Lou, 
inside. Brayton Joyner, inside. I know we have some guys who played tackle at other places. I think Xavier Miller played tackle in Juco. I don't know if he's equipped to play tackle in the SEC. I know that I think EJ Harris played some tackle in, at, in high school. I don't know if he's equipped to play tackle in the SEC. I want to know who our next tackles are. That's what I'm concerned about right now. And that's something I hope to see play itself out over the course of camp as we get scrimmages. You start to see who the twos are behind Dylan Wade and Gunnar Britton at those tackle spots. Yeah, I mean, so I would assume that uh, we still would have um, Isaiah Miller. You already talked about him potentially being able to play tackle out there. And then the other guy is Jaden Muskrat, who we I left off of the graphic for some reason. But just so I can give Mr. Muskrat his due, 6'3", 302, junior transfer from Tulsa. So, you know, when I look at the grades, though, so this is one thing I, I thought of when you ask about, you know, do we have guys who can perform at that level? Just looking at the guys who we brought in, PFF grade for Gunnar Britton last year, 78.6. Now, this was at Western Kentucky, so he wasn't consistently performing against the same level of talent. But I do find it interesting how well he graded out. I'm going to take a look at some of his P5 stuff here in just a minute to see how that disparity exists right there. The other guy who had a really high grade that came in, though, is um, Dylan Wade. 66.9 was his PFF grade last year, right? So he was able to perform at a high level, again, albeit at Tulsa, but still at a high level. Then you could get Avery Jones in there, 65.8 overall PFF grade. The reason I mentioned that is because I talked about what our PFF grade was as a unit last year. Mm-hmm. Wasn't great, right? Like, yeah. 65.4 is the highest that we had as a grade on average for the entire team. And we brought in three guys whose overall average per player is higher than that. Right. So if you put those together, hopefully as a unit. Now, so this is the thing. Offensive line is one of those things that one person performing poorly brings down the grades of the entire unit. Right. Now, each person will grade out individually, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't take but one person to sack the quarterback. Doesn't right. take but one person to blow up a run play. So if right. everybody's not doing their thing, if you looked at, there was a play that we looked at when I was um, in there with Ben Grubbs, and um, it just looked like a disaster. Every single person on the offensive line was moving in one direction, except for one who was moving in the exact opposite direction. The tackle and the guard ran into each other because oh. of that. And it was just like, yeah, it, it, it destroyed the flow of the entire play. Everybody... There's a there is a synchronicity with offensive line that like you have to be moving in unison. You should be stepping at the same time in the same direction. If that's not happening, the play is doomed to begin with. It's really hard to I learned this from talking to Ben. It's super hard if your first step is wrong for you to get the rest of the play right. It's so hard to do that. And it tackle is uh, not tackle, but just offensive line in general is such a technical position with how you need to be able to execute on plays. And it takes kind of special athletes to be able to do that at their size and strength to to do the things necessary. So I think it's going to be super interesting. I do think right now a guy like Cam Stutz is making noise to be able to be a guy that's going to be out there at one of those positions, right? Uh, You know, I like the fact that he's showing the leadership necessary, and I, I hadn't put him in there in that guard conversation but he's making strides to be there. Uh, but you, you ask about the tackle specifically. You already mentioned Garner Langlo, Dylan Wade, Jaden Muskrat, and I think Isaiah Beyond Miller. 
uh, not Garner Langlow, excuse me, Gunnar Britton. Uh, and I think uh, Isaiah Vian Miller is probably going to round out that top four. But to your point, those are all guys who have not played in the SEC a single right. down of football. Right. And, and, and so the question the is whether or not they're going to be able to hold up against the better edge rushers in this league, the better defensive ends who are setting edges. That's a question we don't know the answer to yet. I can tell you for sure, Gunnar Britton didn't look good in our game. I'm going to be honest with you. Right. He right. didn't look good when he played against us and he was going against Derek Hall, who nobody mistakes Derek Hall for some sudden. He is not, what's the kid's name from LSU? Uh, that is the ridiculous uh, outside linebacker. Harold Perkins. He's not Harold Perkins fast, right? Right. He's a, I'm a bully you. And he was bullying, he was bullying him for a lot of that game, man. Yeah. So I, it's going to be interesting to see how they're able to stand up in the SEC and what kind of, and this is, a, this is going to be a big thing for me. How does our offensive staff put together a game plan that overcomes the fact that we realize we have these deficiencies? Because that's what I have right. not seen from our offensive staff in the past five or six years. It doesn't seem as if there is a counterpunch to say, this isn't going so well. This guy's destroying our game plan. He's wrecking our, we know he's going to be a problem. What are we going to do to take this situation out of, out of play for we know that's how they're doing this let's figure right. it out that's something that coach Hugh Freeze actually says he feels like he does well or yeah. actually other people have said of coach Hugh Freeze he counterpunches well his second half adjustments have been amongst the best since he's a, a been college football coach I am so looking forward to being able to come on here at a halftime war poor reaction show and say this and this and this isn't going well in the first half. It'll be interesting to see how they adjust and then come back in the post-game show and say, they adjusted. Yeah. I love the way that they changed it. I do you we, we, we've only been on here since 20. When have we been able to say that? Never. Man, I like we've the second half adjustments we made. Yeah. We, we never said that. I'm looking forward to the day I can say I like the second half adjustments we made. The only thing we've been able to say about second halves, particularly in the last two seasons, is what the heck did we come out here in the second half and do? Yeah. Yeah. I, I know. I know. It's, uh... Yeah, the, the second half has been awful. And Hugh Freeze knows there there is a, a... I think there's an advantage to going into something not so committed to your ideology that you run your team into a brick wall. You have to know, here's who we, here's what I want to do, but here's what we're equipped to do. I can't be so married to what I want to do ideologically that I send us out here at a distinct disadvantage from the jump, expecting my players to somehow figure out how to do something that they aren't able to do. I, we saw that last year. Last year was probably the worst case, mm -hmm. and it's a perfect example of it. Here is what I think you should be able to do. Brian Harson was not good at recruiting, was not good at managing the talent that he had. But one thing that we heard consistently from people who liked him and didn't like him was he knows football. All right. If you know football, it does not matter that your methodology should be successful. If it's too complicated, if the players can't do it, your players are going to fail. Don't put your, your players in a position to fail. Put them in a position to succeed. 
one of the first things that Cadillac said in the press conference, he was like, we're going to simplify things for these guys. Mm-hmm. There's only so many times you have to say certain words when explaining how things are going to change. Where I get, I get it. He was asking y'all to do something that y'all didn't get. The players didn't get it. And as we talked to the wide receivers on the fireside chat, and I mentioned this before it dropped, he, they were saying that Coach Ike Hilliard wasn't even fully grasping whatever system that was in place. Don't make things so complicated that your players can't execute it, grasp it and execute that your coaches, your assistant coaches can't grasp and execute it. This is something that I think Hugh Freeze understands. And this is also, honestly, it's probably more of an offshoot of his personal philosophy as far as the locker room, bringing guys together. If you want people to believe in what they're doing, they have to understand what they're doing. It's so much easier to get people on the same page like that. I think Hugh Freeze's personal philosophy actually gives him an advantage in that way. And he seems to bleed onto the football field as in, I've got to give you guys something that you can digest, something that they can have fun with, because wide receivers told us that too. You know what? Drop of a hat right now. One-on-ones, let's go. Corey, you go on one-on-one straight up against the best corner on the team, one of the top three corners in the SEC. Let's go right now. That's a challenge. That's a philosophy that I think will, will yield us dividends as it relates to the offensive line, though. I love that he already understands what he does and doesn't have. That's why he brought so many dudes in. They understand what they do and don't have. They brought a bunch of guys in. I don't think he's committed to any one lineup, any one player. If he was, and I don't think Cam Stutz would be in the mix, because if you looked at how he performed the last few years, you'd be like, ah, why is he even here? Listen, forget that. I'm going to ask you to do this. Can you do this? Let's start simple right here. Can you do this? You could go in there with the right attitude and with the right effort. And if you can just meet the bar that the coaches set for you week after week, they slowly develop you into the player that you need to be. I love that about Hugh Freeze and his staff, and that's why I still have confidence in the offensive line's play. Also, two natural tackles, which is, you know, back to my first one. Yeah, listen, D, listen, man, I think uh, what I love the most about what we heard from those wide receivers about those one-on-one situations about, all right, cool, let's just randomly do this, as they mm-hmm. were finding ways to keep it fresh. War Report family, you are listening to The Morning Drop, where we talk about the most recent and relevant Auburn sports news. We broadcast live from The War Report's YouTube channel on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 Central Time. You're welcome to come watch it live, but the live chat is reserved for our YouTube channel members only. So come on by, become a member, and get active in the best Auburn sports community on the webs. We'll be right back after we pay a couple bills. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Thanks for sticking around through the ad break. Now here's the rest of your morning drop. Daniel Owen's going to get us jumped off and says he saw Mike doing podcasts with AU, the AU Wishbone guys. Plexico is one of my faves. Happy to see that collab. If you guys do not know, we did a podcast that dropped yesterday, if I'm not mistaken. Van Plexico uh, from over at the AU Wishbone was on with Mike G talking a little bit about projections and Coach Hugh Freeze and all of this stuff surrounding the Auburn football program. 
go and check that out anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Appreciate him for get coming on and uh, talking with us there. Hopefully we'll be able to uh, collaborate with those guys some more in the future. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Daniel again says, heard the podcast of them talking about the class that Stutz came in. My Lord, that dude's been here a while. Cam Stutz yeah. is in his sixth year. Sixth year. Yeah. So he fifth year senior plus the COVID year. Uh, he is out of eligibility after this season. So it is yeah. do or die for him. Again, had great opportunity to speak with him at SEC Media Days. That video is up on the channel along with the other gentlemen that were here or excuse me, there in Nashville representing Auburn. So you can go check that out right now if you would like to. TK jumps in and says, Big Uglies think our dudes look good, though. That's a bad name for the O-line. Doesn't like yeah. the name Big Uglies for the offensive line. Yeah, you know, our guys don't have to be ugly. The guys under the mask don't have to be ugly. The work they do is ugly. Yeah, and, and it's, that's, it's that's the ugly the, work, man, and not, you know. Work. Again, massive human beings, though, right? Like, I don't, I don't know. Like people were like, ah, oh, I, I didn't know you was that short. I'm like, I'm not short, bro. <laughs> this dude is ridiculously huge. There is a difference. Like I look short next to him. But in the, <laughs> no the grand I mean, scheme Jesus. of things in life, no, I'm not a short person. I'm a very average height person, but he is well above average. So it's different. Big boys, man. Yeah. Uh, James Barnett says, fellas, if we have averaged mid 70s on both running pass blocking, are we dominating most teams? The answer to yes. that question is absolutely yes. Yes. Mid-70s is fantastic grades. Mm -hmm. And if we're averaging that as an offensive line in both phases, run and pass, with the talent that we have at running back, with the talent that we have in our wide receiver and tight end room, mm -hmm. we're going to get into the tight end room. Found it very interesting. I'm not going to spoil it. Very interesting who graded out best in the blocking game mm. from our tight end room last year. Okay. okay. Teaser for that whenever we get to tight ends. Uh, hopefully I'll remember that I teased that up. But I found I was just looking again, just looking through numbers in preparation for stuff and trying to kind of evaluate what we've got. Very interesting to see who had that grade. Uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing this young man next season. Uh, Chris S. jumps in with our interior. Who are our interior O-line and offensive tackle? So he's asking. Who do we feel like? And somebody else had, I'll couple this with Steve Bradley's question here. What is your projected lineup as of today? We can compare in a few weeks. I think this is fair. We're getting into fall camp. Be will. Tell me, who do you think is going to start? If we had to suit up, play UMass Saturday, who do you think is trotting out there? First team offensive line. First team offensive line, I'm going to work left to right. I think at left tackle is going to be Dylan Wade. I think at left guard, I don't know which side Jeremiah Wright's going to play on, but I think Jeremiah Wright's going to get one of those guard spots. Avery Jones center, I think the other guard spot, Cam Stutz, hmm. because of his representation, how, how he performed in the spring, and also how the coaches have spoken so highly of him. I don't think you give the SEC a day slot to a guy who's not going to at least see the field initially. So Cam Stutz at the other guard spot and right tackle going to Britain. I think that's our starting five if we had to play this weekend. And I do expect that to change somewhat, maybe, at one of the interior guard spots. It would be the only opportunity, I think, for change there. Everybody else has too much experience. Center, left and right, Wade, Avery Jones, and Britain. I don't think that they get displaced because they have the most experience playing those positions. And as you said, 
I think that experience is really what's doing the work for them and what will allow us to be a decent unit. So the guard spots are the only ones I see that could possibly be in flux. But as of today, I think it's going to be right and um, studs, the guard spots. I'm actually going to say the exact same five as you. I do believe that that will be our starting five going out there, game one. Um, I don't see anything that's giving me evidence that that any that will be any different. Tate Johnson would be the only guy that I could see getting in there in the mix. Injury mm-hmm. was a thing that precluded him from being able to participate in the spring. Same thing with Jeremiah Wright, actually. Uh, so there is the potential there of who's going to be the healthier one to start. But those are the five that I would assume are going to trot out there game one for us if we were to play this weekend. Yeah. yeah. Cool. All right. Haley jumps in and says, we had a rough line last year. No getting around that. There is no getting around it. It was, it was, it was, I mean, listen, and that's not last year was kind of repeat, you know, rinse and repeat for the last five, six seasons at offensive line. The offensive line has been a problem for Auburn for a while. I don't know that anybody's disputing that. I think, you know, we want to see something better from our offensive line. The coaches want to see something better. And those young men want to perform better. I do hope that whatever the system is that they're going to be utilizing is going to be friendlier for them to be able to pick it up faster, play faster, and dominate. Just go out there and move people around. That's why I think what Coach Caddy did at the end of the season was so effective for those young men. It's just simplified. It's like, hey, man, we're just going to go out there and we're going to push people around. Right. And then he t- said to his running backs, I remember this specifically, uh, he said to them in the Y'all second gonna have half, to make some people miss. he's like, man, you, you're going to have to be special on a couple of plays. They're mm-hmm. not going to make every block for you. I need you to go out there and be special. Mm-hmm. And he he challenged his running backs to say, I don't want to hear the excuses, man. They ain't block. So what? If they don't yeah. block, run somebody over. Yeah. Are, are you that good? You think you're that good, right? Run them why over. You think, why you think I went and got you? Yeah. You're supposed to be that dude. Let, let's see it. It was, man, Caddy, man, he did such an amazing job. He's that guy. I, mean, I, get, I, 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 I get chills a little bit thinking about stuff like that, man, because it's yeah. like, bro, come on, man. Do you, who, who don't want to play for that dude? Who yeah. does not want to play for that dude, man? Yeah. Yeah, man. There, there is some distinct advantage to having guys not thinking so much, especially initially, whether it's because you're a freshman or because you're coming in from somewhere else and you're just learning what we're doing here. I've seen, uh, well, actually, I learned this from Mike Jones, that Kevin Steele's defense was often good and we could put freshmen on the field early because it was was simple. It was simplified from, it was not incredibly complex, at least not early on. So you put guys on the field, you give them a limited number of responsibilities and that's how you get them adept to the system faster so year two they've been on the field they've got the basics they've actually done it and now you can give them a couple more things to do and you build on that but you shouldn't have a huge high wall for them to clear just to be able to get on the field and do something get them on the field get them moving and there's there's so much advantage to that so caddy you saw the difference with the offensive line don't do all that stuff do this let me narrow your focus to right here do this and do it well why are we running for two and three hundred yards a game up and our run total by 150, 200 yards a game after that. See, man, it's, that's coaching. That's coaching. Yeah. Understanding what your guys are able to execute. Let's shrink. That's one of the things I liked about uh, some of the better 
quarterback coaches that I've seen out there. So I, have you have you looked at the uh, the Netflix quarterback documentary that they're doing? Been watching it on and off. Yep, yep. Yeah, I haven't seen all of them. But one of the things that I liked in the conversations that you hear, it was Andy Reid talking to Patrick Mahomes. And they're going into an end-of-the-game scenario. And Andy Reid walks over to Patrick Mahomes and he asks him, hey, do you like this play? Right? So getting the imp, like, what do, what do you feel comfortable running in this particular scenario? Not just what I want you to do, not, hey, this is the play, but we're going to execute the play is what I called. Hey, what what do you feel comfortable with? I, I, um, I can't remember who it was, but it was... There was a guy who got thrust into the starting spot because uh, he was an injury. This isn't about the quarterback thing. It was just this is a different kind of uh, documentary or behind the scenes thing that I heard. Uh, this okay. has been some years ago. And they were talking to a guy, starting quarterback gets hurt. They come over to the backup guy and they're talking to him. And it's like, OK, so what do you feel comfortable running? Like, mm-hmm. what do you know? Let me call the plays, you know, and let's go in there and start with that and get you in here and get acclimated to those things. Being a coach is not so much about being the smartest guy in the room as far as being able to scheme things up. It's about extracting the most that you can out of the guys that you have in those rooms. And I think that the better coaches in this league do that, and then they're able to help guys get to a better place. It's like, okay, well, you were only about 25% adept at this thing. I can get Mm -hmm. you to 50. Let's just work on that. But we're going to work with this 25, and we're going to get as much as we can out of this 25%. Right. Right, right. And I just don't know that enough coaches kill the pride that they have in their wonderful play sheet to be able to allow guys to get in there and get acclimated enough to just have a serviceable offense, man. Let's just figure out how to get some first downs. Let's figure out how to get your feet under you. You are a power five athlete. You can play football. Let's figure out how to maximize what you do out here. Yeah. And that's, that is the best approach when you're coaching college ball and I think to a certain extent NFL as well but I think also football has been a sport where you've seen coaches for years and years and years go we're going to do this how I want to do it until you all get it right and honestly eventually just by sheer force of habit you do figure it out or you're going to be on the bench like those those are the the alternatives and the ones who can step up and figure it out they end up being great at it and they go, yeah, I'm glad I stuck with it because Ben Groves being a great example of that. He didn't want to play uh, offensive line. They say, this is where you need to play because you'll be great. And he, he didn't love Auburn the first year. He was thinking about leaving, but force of habit, sticking with it, and you overcome your preferences and you become great at what the coaches are asking you to do. And I think too many coaches now expect that to be the same thing. I don't have to stay here and watch you misuse me and we lose games and I'm losing motivation because there is a coach somewhere that can make something out of those same guys that you're trying to force to do what you think is the best way to do it. And that's really what's different between now and back in the day, 20 years ago. You had 20 years ago, you had the Brian Harson said, here are the principles. Here's how it goes. Here's what's going to make you a professional. Now let's do it until we, we pass out doing it. Yeah, but we suck. We, we don't have to suck while we're learning the game. Right. We can find a way to be decent and get better while we're learning the game. And that's an advantage to any coaching staff who can figure out how to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Lee Carter jumps in. I'm excited to see what these new guys can do with a much improved O-line. Even if they are just average, it'll be tons better than last year. Gotta agree, man. I, I think that I don't want to say that there's no place to go but up because we could definitely get worse. As you saw, we were kind of in the middle of the pack. 
as far as nationally. Bottom of the pack in the SEC, but listen, when you're the in the best conference in the league, bottom of the pack of that is not necessarily the worst thing in the world. But however, caveat, colon, question mark, all of whatever <laughs> thing says pause and let's add an addendum onto this, they need to get better. Yep. The improvement absolutely has to happen. You can't be that poor and expect to compete for championships. Now, not saying we need to compete for championships in this first season, but let's at least make a couple of people say, oh, my goodness, I wasn't ready for Auburn. Yeah. For can sure. we can we give a couple of fan bases some uneasy Saturdays that expected to walk into Jordan hair and come out with an easy victory? Yeah. Make yeah. them sweat a little bit. I'd love that. Now, I'm going to still come on, on, on this post game and rant and rave about how many could have won, man. Dang, bro. I'm going to be mad. I'm going to be a fan. But then I'm going to come back that next Sunday during the, t- the tailgate and I'm going to say, man, I'm proud of them boys, man. They they went out there and they they competed with whoever. Since I see see my guy from toe-to-toe in here saying uh, profanity in here, they went out here and they made Georgia <laughs> sweat a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Why, why, why is he in here? <laughs> you should be arguing with Kenny. Don't come in here with that nonsense. <laughs> Chris S. says, that's why we need an experienced center, counting on Avery Jones to bring the group together and play smart. This is such an underrated thing. We talked about this a little bit. When you have a quarterback, uh, who was it that we were? Oh, Ben Grubbs, again, using Ben Grubbs mm-hmm. as an example. He was talking about when he was early in his career, he was playing with Drew Brees. Mm-hmm. And Drew Brees knew all the stuff. So he was making all the calls, but then when he got to who, where, where did he play next? Where he was he talking about Baltimore. So eventually. it was early in Joe Flacco's career. Joe Flacco didn't know all the calls. The offensive line was helping him out to make sure the center was calling the protections. They were a more experienced group. So they understood what they needed to do in this system, especially if you're going to be starting a guy like Peyton Thorne, who hasn't had the entire spring to learn this stuff, so he may be a little bit newer, or a Robbie Ashford who hasn't had the collegiate experience, having an experienced offensive line that can come in and say, I understand what we're supposed to be doing. They're calling out the protections. They're identifying what needs to be happening. That's going to help a quarterback be able to get acclimated more quickly into the offense, into the system. Yeah. Yeah. So Avery Jones is going to be a crucial piece of this puzzle to making sure that that cohesion happens with the offensive line because he understands what's supposed to be happening and he's making sure everybody else is getting lined up properly. Yeah. Let's get through these last two so we can get out of here. Chris S. again, Britain was supposedly dealing with some intense health and weight issues last year. So hmm. if he was I playing know. at a better, a, a pretty good level last year while hurt, hopefully he's got an opportunity to get healthy and we can come out here and see a good showing from him. Last one here from Daniel Moultrie. I think Clay Wheaton will develop into a great piece on the O-line. I'm a big fan of his. I enjoyed watching that young man's tape when we looked at him coming out of high school. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to seeing what he can produce here in college. Definitely. Appreciate y'all dropping in with us this morning. Until the next time, and as always, share the video, like the channel, subscribe to the channel, all of those things. We're out of here. War Eagle. Peace. Peace. Drop! Drop!